0: I'm Brandon, and this is My Seminary Life. Two years ago, I went back to seminary to finish my master's degree, and I started this show as a way to give me an opportunity to reflect and think critically about what I had to study, along with being able to bring conversations that are usually reserved for seminary students to anybody because around here i believe that theology is for everybody now that school is done i'm entering a whole new phase here on the show where i'm picking out topics that we probably should have talked about in seminary like apologetics and also making room for some fun series along the way so i hope you're ready to come with me on this new journey as we keep on studying together Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's good to be back for another round of apologetics. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about one of the big questions that comes up in the topic of apologetics. And that is, of course, does God exist? How can we as Christians prove the existence of God through reason, logic, and the word of God, and a few other factors as well. That's what we're going to talk about here on the show. So buckle up for another exciting edition of Apologetics 101. Now, before we get into the full conversation on apologetics or on the topic of the existence of God, I believe I owe you all a Bible verse. I uh, meant to read a Bible verse last week to uh, go along with this whole idea of uh, give an account, the word apologia in the Greek, and an example of it from the scriptures. And so here's your example. Sorry, I, I didn't do this right last week. Reading out of the NET, that's the New English translation, First Peter 3, 15. But set Christ apart as Lord. Your heart hearts but but so credit apart as lord in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks about the hope you possess so apologetics based out of first peter three fifteen is this idea of giving an answer for the hope that we possess the hope that we have as christians we're giving an answer for why we have this hope in our lives. And today, specifically, we're going to be looking at the the source of that hope in a way. Uh, well, truly, like the, the source of the hope that we have in us, rooted in God. Now looking at Psalm 19, verse 1, again, out of the New English translation, New English, not New England, Nothing about Tom Brady in here. Uh, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies displays his handiwork. As we move into this discussion now on the existence of God, one common factor that's going to come up is natural revelation. The, the created order and how that plays a contributing factor, a big factor into the argument for the existence of God. So before we really get into this, I know I say that a lot. There are three, broadly speaking, ways that people respond to this question of, does God exist? There are three broad ways that these are, that this is argued for the cosmological argument, the teleological argument and the moral argument here at the end, we're going to highlight uh, three other secondary ways that people try to answer this question of, does God exist? These three main ones though, cosmological teleological and moral arguments they all have three similar criteria. Okay. Each one of these are, are has the same working base. The first part is that each each one looks to an observable factor. And each one each one looks to an observable factor, and each one then looks to eliminate explanation from it okay so we're looking at an observable factor around us as you can guess from cosmological we're looking at the the cosmos we're looking at the created order and from moral argument you can guess yes we're going to be talking about morals the knowledge of good and evil you know those those type of factors so we're looking at those we're looking at tangible things not necessarily out of scripture things that are around us that we can build common ground off of if you may recall from last week's episode as we looked at the the primary ways that people make these responses whether it's the historical approach or the um uh blank and now the Uh, natural the classical approach you know a lot of times we're looking for common ground to build all off of so in these in trying to build an argument for the existence of god we are looking for common ground things we can agree that there is a universe around us and then in the the second thing that they tried to do in these arguments as they are flushed out is try to eliminate ways that humans contribute to this okay so it it's similar to if i could point to a scriptural example to to make that make sense cuz i feel like i'm not making sense in this episode so far the it, you look to job Okay, so when Job finally gets to have his conversation with God, which really is a very one-sided conversation as God is talking to Job, he keeps coming back to this. Were you there when this happened? Did you do this? Did you do that? You know, that's God speaking to Job. And so similarly, this is what we're doing with this in this second step, as we're flushing out the argument. We're trying to eliminate ways that humans have contributed to the creation of the world to internal moral absolutes, things like that. The third part of these arguments, each one looks to have a satisfying finish of not just there is a God, but that there is a specific God, oftentimes highlighting a specific characteristic of God, Uh, Again, you know, looking at like the moral argument, you could build an argument for the existence of God, getting to the point of God being just. God is a god of justice. Okay. We're building to one of his characteristics, not just broadly speaking, that there is a God, but that there but that there is a God of fill in the blank. So those are the three um, correlating attributes that each one of these main arguments have. Let's look at those now. So again, the first one is cosmological. The cosmological argument, simply put, is look at the created world around you. Somebody had to put that there. It's basically... The the short answer of what the cosmological argument is trying to do that we are trying to give the response that God exists because somebody had to put this all here. Okay. Uh, most cultures have some form of a of a story of a god or gods putting everything into existence mythology religions most of them always come back to a moment where the gods a god whatever put everything here in its place this argument actually goes all the way back to plato and specifically aristotle Uh, he coined it as the uncaused cause I, I call it the great causer that somebody had to, there had to be a cause outside of all of this to put all of the created order into existence. Paul actually uses this argument, I would say, uh, looking at Colossians 1, 15 through 19, specifically verse 16, uh, of pointing to, this is the famous section uh, that talks about the preeminence of Christ, the supremacy of Christ in all things, how everything was created by him and for him. I would argue that that is paul using a modified version of the uncaused cause as aristotle put it the great causer jesus is the great causer who caused everything to be put into its place and it is all for him as well stoic philosophers actually were really into using this for arguing for the existence of a god a modern person who has used this frequently is William Lane Craig. The during the medieval ages, this was a popular argument used by both Christians and actually Muslims to argue uh for both of their both sides of their faith. Um, Christians for well, in some ways we're arguing for the same God, but for our own religions using this cosmological argument, Muslim philosophers also argued for these things. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, there's that name again. St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, also developed this method out further to go beyond just a causer, somebody who put everything into existence, but also the great depender, I guess would be the word, uh, that not only is everything put into motion caused, um, by one great causer, but also that all of creation is therefore then dependent also on this great causer to continue to exist. So that's this. So that's uh, the idea of the cosmological argument. We are saying that God exists because. Everything had to be put into existence and all of those things are dependent upon him. Now there is some pushback against this argument by evangelicals. And that is because if you remember one of the three points in the earlier criteria is that you're arguing for a specific God, right? A specific attribute, specific characteristic. And although you're building to a creator, you could say the pushback against the cosmological argument is that it's too broad that it's it's too broad it could be any number of gods again during the medieval ages muslim philosophers were using this argument to argue for the existence of allah so there is that i would say personally talking about these three i don't know if i would necessarily say that it is the my favorite argument for the existence of god But there is something about this uncaused causer that for me personally actually um, brings me to worship this, the supremacy of Christ. We did a whole study of it in my small group, the uh, Colossians, the book of Colossians as a whole, we did a whole study of it in my small group about a year ago now. And this, this idea of the uncaused causer, the supremacy of Christ in all things, it, It is very awe-inspiring to me. Maybe not necessarily the best approach in apologetics, but it leads me to worship, so maybe it'll lead you to worship to reflect on those things. Okay, number two. Does God exist? Well, now you could try the teleological argument. And the teleological argument gets microscopic. So while with the cosmological, you're looking at like everything broadly, this is getting down into the minute details of the created order and concluding that this could not have come by chance. And here's a big phrase. I guess it's not a big phrase, but a, a term that you will hear in apologetics frequently there has to be a intelligent designer this is a big thing one of the areas that we're not going to be able to get into during apologetics 101 is the topic of creation theories and so hopefully if we're able to run this back in the future we will definitely have a whole conversation on creation theories evolution intelligent design but the teleological argument is trying to get microscopic looking at the the minute finite details of creation and say somebody had to somebody had to create this nobody this this couldn't have happened by chance this is far too complicated to have just been chance it is more logical that there had to be a, a designer a creator than that this all was left to chance uh, this argument comes up a lot in the Old Testament, particularly in the Psalms, of looking to God as Creator. Uh, it is used in the o- in the New Testament by Paul. Uh, it comes up in the Book of Acts. William Paley is an example of uh, a more modern apologist who uses this um, uses this approach. And the big thing, another. Th- topic that we're not going to get into during apologetics 101 but in the hopeful apologetics 201 in the future we'll get a into a whole big conversation on faith and science and one thing that i really appreciated that i'm going to highlight here before we move on into our third argument is that science continues to prove the existence of god Faith and science are not enemies, and Pastor Will said amen. If you recall, he talked about that a lot Uh, two months ago when I interviewed him about things that we learned from the pandemic as ministers. Faith and science are not enemies to each other. If anything, as Christians, we need to be more up-to-date on what is going on in the scientific world and understand that scientific advancement doesn't disprove the existence of God. As we begin to realize more and more how complex everything is, that proves again, by logic that there had to be somebody who designed all this, that this couldn't have just all happened by chance. Somebody had to create this. So, That is the teleological argument. So if the cosmological argument is a little too broad for you, you can move to the teleological argument and argue for intelligent design. The third is moral, the moral argument. Now, this is completely separate from creation. It basically goes with this idea that for the most part everybody has a universal understanding of right and wrong. There may be culture by culture, some differences here and there, right? But broadly speaking, everyone has at least a sense of right and wrong, right? Most cultures have that. And although there is some argument from evolutionists that that is a part of evolutionary development that we over time have part of our advancement is to have a higher moral code the idea that we have a moral compass as distorted as it may be by sin is proof that there has to be a righteous holy just god who put that into creation that who enabled us with that moral compass. And uh, a name who has not come up yet um, is Immanuel Kant, K-A-N-T, Kant. Immanuel Kant was a big proponent of the moral argument for the existence, existence of God. And also this was a popular one by Greek Stoics as well, way back during the Bible times so those are the three primary arguments for the existence of god the cosmological argument there has to be a great uncaused cause who put all this into existence a and who is the one that all of creation is dependent on to continue to exist the teleological argument where we're going to get microscopic and say look how complex all of this is science is continuing to show us how complex all of this is there had to be an intelligent designer who put this into place and then the moral argument we all have this general sense of right and wrong some form of a moral compass to some degree this has to have been instilled in us by someone and again None of these arguments get you to Jesus Christ as your savior, that Jesus died for you, that the Holy spirit indwells you like none of these arguments are going to get you there, but we're just trying to answer the big question of does God exist? And the answer is yes. Or that is the attempted answer that we are trying to give is yes, God does exist. I do think uh, uh, commenting on the, cosmological argument i will also give a brief comment from myself on the moral argument that i do think that one not that it's not effective i don't see it working very well in a postmodern world i i think our understanding of right and wrong it's just it's complex and it's messy and very diverse from people, people to people nowadays. Now, I'm not sure if the moral argument, personally speaking, is the most effective argument nowadays. Like I said, there's three other ones, kind of secondary arguments as well that you can use. Uh, The first one is religious experience. Did you have a real life encounter with God? might be worth bringing up. Keeping in mind, like we talked about last week with the experiential uh, apologetic approach, the existential apologetic approach, that when apologetics is really leaning upon logic and reason, and you're going to talk about personal spiritual Experiences; those are those are great. I'm not trying to diminish your own personal. I've had my own personal experiences with God. Like I, I know those are real and they do happen. However, it could be easily dismissed. Is what I'm is what I'm getting at. These these could be easily easily dismissed by people. Um, also, we live in a world nowadays where there's a lot of like spiritual but not religious people. And so to talk about a spiritual experience with God, similar to the cosmological argument, may be a little too broad, depending on the person you're talking to. Second one is miracles, specifically the resurrection of Jesus. Using miracles as an argument for the existence of God, Gary Habermas Gary Habermas is one of the big proponents for using the uh, resurrection of Jesus as an argument for the existence of God, miracles in general. And then finally, the ontological argument, uh, Alvin Plantinga is one of the uh, proponents for this view. Basically, God being the greatest possible thing has to exist. As the short summary of the ontological argument that if if God really is the greatest thing possible, then He has to exist. But it's a necessity. It's a necessity for God to exist. So those are how you can argue for the or given a response to the question of is God. Does God exist? Is God real? Hopefully that you feel more equipped coming out of this, having heard of these different views and knowing that you don't necessarily have to use scripture. There's not like a one verse to rule them all to like win this argument that you can actually use nature and science to prove the existence of God. It's great. Like I said, this is one of the two big questions that come up in the topic of apologetics. We're going to wrestle with the other big question next week. The question of what's the deal with evil, pain, and suffering? Why do... Why do bad things happen to good people? If God is so good, why doesn't he just eradicate all evil? This is another big question that is brought up by critics in this realm. So we're going to talk about that and next week. And as I alluded to off and on throughout this episode, last week on the show, I talked about what is apologetics very broadly, looking at the broad approaches that people take when it comes to um Giving an answer, as I said, giving an answer for the hope that is in us. Before we call this episode to an end, I wanted to talk briefly about resources. So I highlighted last week on social media that the primary uh, reading source that I'm using f- to study to prepare for these episodes is coming from the popular Encyclopedia of Apologetics by Ed Hinson and Ergen Kaner. Uh, This book came out in 2008. I have so far enjoyed it. Uh, For you longtime listeners, you know that one of my favorite things are short, compact, packed with information books, right? I love those books. And for being an encyclopedia, it does check those marks, and I've I've enjoyed how it's been written so far. I would say as you're reading, you can definitely tell when the contributors to the different sections are leaning towards one specific approach. But I would say in general, everything is presented at least pretty evenly, I would say. So that was uh, the... Resource I was highlighting last week on social media and will continue to use as I prepare for these episodes. Off and on throughout this week, however, I have been highlighting articles and videos from the Keller Center for Cultural Apologetics. You may have heard about this. You may have heard about it because of a controversial article that came out earlier in March, but this is a new endeavor being launched by the Gospel Coalition, named after pastor and author of The Reason for God, Timothy Keller. The uh what they're hoping to accomplish with the Keller Center, I think is a good a good and noble task that they're trying to do here is that they are trying to equip pastors, lay leaders, etc. with Apologetics, looking specifically at current cultural issues to then reach Gen Z specifically. like They're trying to reach the youth, kind of a top-down type of thing. We equip the saints to bring the youth back into church without using pizza and laser tag to get them to show up. I don't even know if laser tag is a draw anymore. It was a draw for me, I can tell you that. And pizza is always a draw. Not the point. So on the Keller Center, you can go check it out. I've been, like I said, I've been highlighting articles over on the MSL Facebook page. You can check it out over there. There's a lot of articles. There's a number of, uh, there's a few videos, and there's a couple coh- cohorts coming up here in the late summer, early fall that they're going to be offering to give people specific training, again, when it comes to this topic of cultural apologetics. If you're interested, check it out it's a little pricey I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be honest it's a little pricey at least it's a little out of my price range right now because you know I, I look at these things as possible study material for the show but hey maybe if you're not on a really tight budget and don't have a kid and you're not married maybe maybe you have the money to go do to be a part of these cohorts check it out um And this will continue on each week. I'll be highlighting a resource or a person or something over on social media, keep the conversation going about apologetics and to continue to uh, grow our minds, saturate our minds on the topic of giving an answer for the hope that is in us. That is it for today's episode. Thank you all for listening. Please head into the description of this episode if you'd like to find links to the My Seminary Life website or shop. You can also find link for tickets to the every tribe denomination tongue convention and also you can use promo code all caps msl rocks for a discount on your tickets there's also now a virtual option if you would like to attend virtually if you can't get there in person i know chapel hill is at least for me a little out of the way i have to fly there but if you uh, would like to attend virtually and hang out with us that way, love to know that you are there. And if you ever have any questions, comments, concerns, or complaints, you can always send them my way, email seminarylife at com there should be i'm not going to make the announcement today but hopefully by the next week's episode i will have a big announcement a big change coming to the show a good big change so hang on hang on to your hats for next week's episode but until next time keep in mind that theology is for everyone so keep on studying